without trying to put you on the spot too much, did anyone do the readings today? The Epistle and the Gospel for today? Okay. So I'll read this today because it happens to be, and we can have a lot more back there as well. <coughs> we can move the chairs in closer to... Um, I won't have you do prostrations just today. <laughs> Only half to. <laughs> um, but the, the beautiful thing is that, as we know, God works through prayer. And so today's epistle reading happened to very much correspond with the, the course that we're, part, we're uh, entering into right now. So I'll read just portions from this. This is from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 21. And he talks about the mystery hidden for the ages in God. He says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he may grant you to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better reading for this uh, course on, on prayer. Because he talks about the inner man. He talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts. He talks about our ability to comprehend God directly in relation to Christ dwelling in our hearts. And he finally says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is the purpose of prayer. So, why pray? St. Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain says this, There is no other virtue that is either higher or more necessary than sacred prayer. Because all the other virtues, I mean fasting, vigils, sleeping on the ground, ascesis, chastity, almsgiving, all the rest, even though they are ways of imitating God, even though they cannot be taken away from us and constitute the immortal ornaments of the soul, they do not unite man with God, but only render him fit to be united. Sacred prayer and it alone unites. It alone joins man with God and God with man and makes the two one spirit. So everything of our entire being of our entire existence, Christian or otherwise, our entire existence depends upon prayer. And in our Orthodox life, we have so many different things that we can be doing in our spiritual lives that sometimes that centrality of prayer can be forgotten by all the other things that we're doing. But as St. Nicodemus points out, all of those things which are so important are ways of imitating God they do not unite us with God, but rather make us fit for being united with God. Prayer alone is the way in which we unite ourselves with God. Any questions or thoughts about that so far? <coughs> so in terms of hierarchy within the church, 
we are a cre creation of hierarchy, and so the church has hierarchy. The hierarchy is prayer first. Of everything in our spiritual life, prayer first. Prayer most, prayer most central, prayer is at the heart of it all. And St. Theophon the Recluse says, there is no success in prayer. If there is no success in prayer, there will be no success in anything. It is the root of everything. Um, so I put some books there on the table. It's just a small sampling of some of the things that can be read about prayer. There are many more in the bookstore. And if you need more guidance, I'd, I'd be happy to give that. Also those who work in the bookstore. But um, two that I'll be quoting from heavily, just because they're really useful little bits on prayer. This one is by Metropolitan Hilarion, who is um, very high up in the, the Russian, church, Russian Orthodox Church. And this is actually from a series, a little radio series that he did. And each chapter is just a couple of pages. These are little vignettes about prayer. So I'll be quoting from that. Also from the writings of St. Theophon the Recluse. Um, and this is just from different letters that he wrote to people. There are many, many places that I could be quoting about prayer, and I will be quoting from other places, but I want to mention those two as places that are, are good to start, especially if you feel like prayer is something that is still uh, new in your life, something that hasn't really been experienced yet. There we go. I just want to make sure it's still alive. <coughs> so what is prayer? Prayer is our encounter with God. Prayer is the way in which we have communion with him. Um, Bishop Hilarion says, uh, It is an encounter with the living God. Christianity gives man direct access to God, who listens to man, helps him, and loves him. This is the fundamental difference between Christianity and, for example, Buddhism, in which during meditation the one praying deals with a certain impersonal superbeing, in which he is immersed and in which he is dissolved. But he does not feel... God as a living person. In Christian prayer, man feels the presence of the living God. And prayer ultimately is not, um, as St. Theophon says, it's not about repeating words, but rather having those words emblazoned upon our heart. That what we say is what we feel, what we experience, what we then act in our lives. That there is that unity. So, um, I'll start uh, with a little bit of participation by asking, give me a description a little bit of um, the relationship with someone that you love. What does that look like? What does it look like? Think of the people that you love most in your life. Describe the, the, the appearance of that relationship. What are the things that go on in that? Many of you are married, so you might think of your spouse. What? Communication. Communication. Okay. And of course, we all know where I'm going with this, so I, I'm not trying to like trick you with this. <laughs> commune, commune, vacation. Let's get a little bit more specific. What do, what do the things look like? Talking. Like talking. What else? Listening. Listening. And up next to that, I'll put being attentive. What else? Spending time together. Time together. OK. 
Okay, so uh, most of these are things that we do with them. What about when we're not with them? Thinking about them. Praying for them. What? Praying for them. Praying for them. Yeah. And we all have these handy-dandy smartphones now, so we have all these ways of communicating as well. Mm -hmm. So all the different ways in which we can um, I'll put uh, checking in, if you will. Sending a text or making a brief call. Checking in. Okay. So, of course, this is all pointing towards then our relationship with God. Because one of the um, most fundamental problems is that we don't really love God. Hopefully I'm not saying something that's shocking to you in your own life. We don't really love God. This is obvious, right? How does this relate to your own spiritual life? Even in terms of quantity of time, how does it relate? You see? So clearly within our lives of our human relationships... <laughs> We figure it out. If we love people more, we spend more time with them, we give them more attention, we uh, express to them our love, or we do actions that show our love. But when it comes to God, we, we sort of disconnect the two. We want to think that we love God, we want to think that we have a relationship with God, but then all of these things aren't really happening much at all. And so this is where our, our prayer life is the, the full expression of what our love for God is. So if our prayer life is meager, well then the good news is there's always room to grow. There's always room to grow. God has plenty of love for us. So, but we, can't, we have to start with the frank realization that we don't really love God much. And that's the starting point. And in fact, that's the, the root of, it, it's a catch-22. We don't really love God much, so we don't have much warmth for him. So when we pray, we don't have a whole lot of excitement in our prayer. And so this becomes its own uh, self-fulfilling cycle. So for most of us, prayer is a whole lot of work as a result of that. Any questions or thoughts so far about that? But I want to keep this up here because all of this is what we want to be thinking about in terms of our relationship with God. <clears throat> More often, instead of talking on the phone with a loved one, it's like talking on the phone with your bank. That's how our prayer time is. <laughs> I need to get this done. I have a particular task that needs doing, whether it's the obligation of my prayer rule, or it's I really need help right now. There's a 911 call to God. But it is uh, so often not in that direction of uh, talking on the phone with a loved one. Okay. Yeah. I have a, an Orthodox prayer book uh, that was purchased from a used bookstore. Mm -hmm. and inside the person who owned it before me wrote a uh, quotation from St. Theophanes. Mm -hmm. uh, he said uh, that you must, uh, be, in order to pray, you must become the prayer. Mm. You yourself become the very words that you're speaking. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if this is the same quote, but this is, prayer does not mean repeating a certain number of words of prayer. Praying is reproducing the contents of the prayers within ourselves so that they flow as if from our own mind and heart. You know, that's maybe a paraphrase or another quote of his that's similar. One of, so we might say, okay, so if I don't really love God, what do I do? How do I make myself love God? Pray. It's a fair question. Pray. Yeah. <laughs> Try harder. <laughs> so, so that's that's a, an honest question. If I don't really love God, how do I how do I love Him? How do I how do I learn to love Him? Any thoughts on that? You ask God to help you love. So you can ask certainly. So prayer is a part of that. Is asking Him. What else? What else? Spend more time getting to know Him. More time in prayer, yeah. So it does, it does all circle back to prayer. Let's think of an analogy a little bit. So um, you are um, taking a hike, and there's this part where there's a big precipice, a cliff, and you slip and you go tumbling down, and someone saves you from that. Someone draws you up from that. You automatically have a bond with them. It may not be love. But you have something right there. What what is it? What what is it that uh, you have now with that person? Gratitude. The, the gratitude, the, the thankfulness for what the person has done for you. So um, a a one of the ways in which we can start to cultivate our love for God is with gratitude. And what is gratitude for for most of us? Because we're we're not very grateful. It's spending the time to think about what has God done for me? What do I have as a result of God? So gratitude is one aspect of that. Another is, and I talked a little bit about this in the homily on Sunday, uh, or sort of in a sideways way, but is our, our need for God. Our need for God. Because if we don't really feel like we need God, and that's oftentimes how we live our lives, is that we don't really need God, then... We don't spend much time with God because we don't need him. But if we have that sense of need, where do, where do we get that sense of need? Just looking at our lives a little bit more deeply. Looking at our lives a little bit more deeply. A little bit of introspection into the things in my life that I don't have control over. That realization, and that's sort of what I was talking about in the homily on Sunday, about self-sufficiency. To completely turn away from that. Completely turn away from self-sufficiency and say, no, I'm not self-sufficient. So um, St. Theophon uh, offers this a little bit about that. Don't forget to reestablish your sense of spiritual need. Bring your need for God to the front of your mind, then begin to draw your mind into your heart by organizing your thoughts into prayer and calling forth your desire to find their fulfillment in God. When the heart is conscious and feels the need for God, the need for prayer, then the attentive heart itself will not let your thoughts slide into other matters. It will force you to cry out to the Lord in your prayers. Most of all, be aware of your own helplessness. Were it not for God, you would be lost. If someone who is doomed to disaster were to stand before the one person who, with a glance, could save him, would he look here and there for his salvation? No, he would fall down before him and beg mercy. So it will be when you approach him in prayer with an awareness of the all-encompassing peril 
and the knowledge that no one can save you but God. Any thoughts on that? It's terrifying. <coughs> what? It's terrifying. It, it can be terrifying to realize how, how little we have control of our lives. And that should be a, a, a good and cultivating kind of terror. Because it, it, it's hopelessness and helplessness if there's no God. So this is cultivated within the context of recognizing, no, there is one who is greater than me. And there is one who can act in my life in ways that I can't. So, so in terms of our, um, our prayer, I'll talk a little bit about a prayer rule today. I didn't tell you a little bit about the overall whole flow of this. Today I'll be talking a little bit about prayer rule and about um, some of the basic pieces of a prayer rule. The next class will be focusing more on the Jesus prayer and on contemplative prayer. And then the final class will be more about intercessory prayer, about praying to the saints, about all the different tools that we have within the church of Akathis and Paracleses and all of these. So... So today I'll talk a little bit about a, um, about a prayer rule. But first, um, the, I wanted to say a little bit more about that, that sense of a need for God because what that cultivates in us is it cultivates a warmth of the heart. And this is something that, that St. Theophone talks extensively about <coughs> and something that you'll see in um, Hidden Man of the Heart, uh, in the Night of Prayer on uh, the Holy Mountain. Um, a number of different books, but um, the sense that our heart is attentive. And what I mean by that is that we have a, a desire, um, a, a zeal, if you will. Warmth is the way that he describes it the most, St. Theophon, at least. And it's the, the idea that we are, um, that the words of our prayer are inhabiting us. And again, I'm trying to use some words that they, they might sound difficult. Like, what does that mean, the words of the prayer inhabiting us? That our, our mind is not thinking about other things. That's a sort of baseline. Our mind is not thinking about other things. Again, this is our goal. This is hard. This is hard to get to. But that we are, um, we, the words of the prayer are, become, are becoming our words. They're not this thing that I have to do or I have to say, but rather they are truly me speaking with all of my heart towards God, whatever those prayers may be. So um, in terms of talking a little bit about a prayer rule, the first thing to think about is how do we prepare for praying? How do we prepare for praying? Um, that's partly why I put this up. Um, this is at our house, but I wanted to point out some things <coughs> um, in a, a prayer altar. So there might be a lot of different things that are there. There are icons, always an icon of Christ in the Panagia, icons of other saints around. Um, but you'll notice there are candles there, there's incense there. And these, um, the physical actions that we do as we prepare for prayer help us to be focused. So it may, maybe to our rational mind, it might sound silly, lighting a candle is preparing me for prayer. 
lighting charcoal and getting the incense going is preparing me for prayer. But all of these actions, as they become the actions that we do before prayer, they prepare us for it. And one of the most consistent practices that's offered is the practice of doing prostrations. Prostrations. So um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the term prostration. Uh, there, there, if you will, there are two kinds of prostrations. There's a prostration that we often call a metania, which is like this, touching the ground and the side of the cross. We usually say that with the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Um, and then there's a full prostration, which is where we go all the way down and place our head upon the ground and come back up. And um, the prostration is a, a way of getting our body to, to exert itself a little bit. So we have a whole range of ages here. What I would say is whatever is exertion for you, do that. So exertion may be just doing three of these, like this. Right? Or maybe even holding on to a chair and doing that. Whatever it may be. Exertion for other of us may be doing a dozen prostrations all the way down to the ground and back up. Or more. But whatever that is, what happens, um, how many of you have ever, as a regular thing, done prostrations before prayer? Anyone? Okay. So some of you have had that experience. Um, what happens is that the sort of goings about of our life kind of get quieted down. Why? Because our body's working. And when our body is working, there's a, there's a singularity, there's a oneness that's there. You think of your, any sort of activity where you're exerting yourself, any exercise, if you're actually exerting yourself, it's kind of hard to think about other things. Or maybe you might think about just one thing, and that's it. You have your, your one focus while you're doing your exercises. Or if you're doing physical labor, it's the exact same thing. So when we approach prayer, it's good to give a little bit of exertion. It's good to give a little bit of exertion, especially if your prayer time is in the morning. Um, because this is what sort of awakens us. But sometimes the prayer time at night is a time when we're feeling really tired. You have that sensation, like, oh, I'm going to pray now. Oh, suddenly I'm tired. Right? So do some prostrations. I guarantee you that that will rouse you. It will rouse you. So it has both a sense of it, it rouses us, sort of awakens us, and also it, it brings us into uh, more singularity, more oneness rather than my mind is doing something and my body is doing something else. So, um, and I did want to read a little bit about prostrations, but I'll have to find that in a second. So, um, any questions about prostrations? What they are, how to do them? Okay. You can also, again, I, I want this to be very practical as well. So. Um, another thing that you can do if you're doing a lot of prostrations is you don't have to go all the way down and all the way up. Okay, so you can just do sort of small prostrations in between, whatever that may be. Okay, but give it a try, and um, and whatever is that point of doing of exerting yourself, stick to it. Every time that you pray, do that same amount, because there will be times when you're like. They don't feel like doing a dozen prostrations. I'll just skip it this time. And then what happens? We're not preparing our body because our body, it's essential to prepare our body. So likewise with the lighting of candles, the lighting of incense, the doing of prostrations, by the time you do all those things, you'll have more focus. <coughs> because ultimately, 
our goal is to is to be able to pray with focus, to not be distracted by um, by varying things. But Father, would you say yeah. prostrations? You do them even before you might say the trisagion or something. You you just like mm-hmm. not, not as part of your yeah. No, like, I would say very like specifically like stretching for an exercise. Yeah, very right? specifically, do the prostrations at the beginning, huh. at the very beginning. They can be done at other times as well, but um, to do them at the beginning is to prepare. Uh, this is what I wanted to read. Um, to be freed from the tendency to have wandering thoughts during prayer, one must concentrate during prayer with warmth. Again, that word that St. Theophan uses a lot. Before prayer, one should prepare for such an effort by making prostrations and by a moment of reflection. So also after you've done those prostrations, if you've done them right, you'll be a little bit winded. Right? So just use that as a moment. Just stand before your icons, having a moment of quiet, sort of catching your breath a little bit, and then you enter into prayers. And you'll see how different it is. You will. Uh, Here's another thing that he says about preparing. Though we make painstaking preparations for every other task, no matter how trivial, we do not prepare for prayer. We take up our prayer with flighty thoughts willy-nilly and rush to get it over with, as if it were an incidental, though unavoidable, bother and not the center of our life as it should be. Without preparation, how can there be a gathering of thought and feeling in prayer? Without preparation, prayer proceeds shakily instead of firmly. No, you must determine to deny yourself this little sin and under no circumstance allow yourself to come to prayer with your heart and mind unprepared, your thoughts and feelings scattered in a dozen different directions. Such a careless attitude toward prayer is a crime, a serious one, capital one. Consider prayer the central labor of your life and hold it in the center of your heart. Address its rightful role, not as a secondary function. (coughs) So he's talking about how serious this is, and there's another place where he talks about how um, distracted prayer is an offense against God. Because there's a very serious danger, and that very serious danger is what we all to be honest with you, experience, which is what? Prayer is dry. Prayer is obligation. Prayer is what I'm supposed to do. Well, it's, it, is, it really is a chicken and egg. It really is. Because our prayer, we give no preparation and no time for, and we try to, maybe we're trying to rush through our obligation as quickly as we can. Just think about that in terms of a phone call. You haven't talked to your loved one in months and you have a chance to call. Or think of that phone call that's an obligation. I need to call this person and maybe if we're being really naughty, I'm going to do something else while I'm talking to them because it's just a lot of work. (laughs) What are we going to get out of that? Very little. And so it becomes this vicious cycle because we get very little out of prayer so we don't want to pray. And so then we don't pray even more. And then we don't get even more out of prayer. On and on and on like that. So that's why it is so essential that we prepare for our time of prayer. And that we give it the focus. Is my entire heart, my entire mind focused on what I'm about to do? If not, give it more time. Do more prostrations. Whatever it may be. But you can fight for it too. Because even within the prayer, you can fight for it. You can, when I say the words... Now, we'll get to the Lord's Prayer soon enough here. Our Father, who art in heaven. And when I'm saying these words, 
I'm forcing that to fill my mind and there's nothing else that's going on in my mind except the words of the prayer. So there's a forcefulness that can also come through that. Any questions? Anyone want to share their own experience? <laughs> <coughs> so what is a prayer rule? Um, so a little yeah. back on that part. So, Because yeah. I've heard both things like, even if you don't feel like praying, just make sure you pray. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean... Yeah. Both. So our entire spiritual life, and some of you may have heard me say this again, is a razor's edge. All of our spiritual life is a razor's edge. On the one side, I might have pride, and then I realize I'm being proud, and I move back over, and then the devil pushes me towards despair, towards self-hatred. Then I try to get back over, and then he raises me up again. I'm fighting against pride again. So everything is going down the middle. So to that point, that question about um, whether we should sort of soldier on and fight through prayer, yes. Yes, we should. Should that be the way that we pray? No. No. So that is a, um, it is a, what do you call it, a, a temporary measure. Because there will be days that are more dry and more difficult. And we'll talk a little bit more about dryness and sort of distractedness next, uh, next class as well. But um, there, are, there are times when we have to fight through it. But that should not at all. If, we, if that's how it consistently is, then we need to have a, a really frank look at what is prayer for us. What is prayer for us? Because if it's dry day in and day out and obligation... The key in this is that we can repent of that. We can repent of that. And that's how we soften our heart. That's how we warm our heart to God, is we say, Lord, have mercy. Look, I don't even want to pray. Here I am. I'm saying the words of my prayer, and I don't even want to. I feel like it's obligation. Lord, have mercy. God, forgive me for this. And so in this way, we're not just leaving it as status quo, but rather we are... We're using whatever we have. And so if what we have is dryness, then there's something to repent of there. It's not God's fault that the prayer is dry. It's not. It's not the, the words of the prayer that are the fault of the dryness. Oh, because I'm just repeating prayers, that's the reason why it's dry. No, not at all. So, good. Any other? That's part of the pre-communion prayers, isn't it? Uh, I, I have no tears of repentance with which to warm my heart. Uh, to be, <coughs> yeah, that is in the prayers. I'm not sure which prayer that's in, but yeah, absolutely true. I know that we're recognizing that we don't even have tears. We don't even have that, even internal tears. You know that that strong sense of woe is me. So, so a prayer rule is a commitment to ourselves of what we will pray every day. A prayer rule is a commitment to ourselves of what we will pray every day. And a prayer rule oftentimes, and I would advise this, is in the guidance of a father confessor or um, some sort of a spiritual guide. So it's not in a vacuum, in a bubble. But ultimately, it is my commitment to myself of what I will pray. It's not my commitment to anyone else. It's not my commitment to my spiritual father, it's not my commitment to my wife, it's not my commitment to God, it's my commitment to myself. I will do this. I will do this. So um, one of the important things of a prayer rule 
is that it has to be realistic. Okay? And I may depart from what some other people teach out there, just to be clear on this, but I'm not alone in saying this. A prayer rule must be realistic. What does that mean? A prayer rule is not a wish. A prayer rule is not a hope. A prayer rule is what I'm doing. With a little, it might have a little and then some. A little bit of that. So if I'm praying this, maybe I, I throw in one more prayer. I'm going to make that part of my prayer rule and I'm going to try my hardest to do that. But a prayer rule is realistic. Why? Because then there's no room or excuse for not doing it. So that's where we have to be very humble. Because for some of us, a prayer rule is I say the Lord's Prayer in the morning and the evening. That's our prayer rule. That's the beginning. Is that where we should stay for our entire spiritual life? Of course not. Of course not. But that's where we have to start from. Because the prayer rule is this is what I'm going to commit to, and I will always do this. So it has to be both not too hard, but not too easy. And that's where it's very helpful to have another set of eyes on it. <coughs> Someone that you can talk through, like, okay, well, what are you actually doing right now? What prayers are you actually doing? How can we build from there? So um, a prayer rule, again, is a commitment to ourselves of the prayers that we will do on a daily basis. So the typical elements of that are morning, evening, meal times. Okay, these are typical elements. Um, for some, their best time of praying is in the middle of the day. That's fine. That can be part of the prayer rule. Part of figuring out the prayer rule is figuring out what is realistic for me in terms of times of day. If you are just not a morning person, that doesn't mean don't pray in the morning. That means the portion of your prayer rule that's in the morning is shorter. And the portion of your prayer rule in the evening then is correspondingly longer. And we, try, we try to have one time of the day that is, this is my main time. This is when I'm going to... Perhaps if you're there, uh, try to do the daily readings. This is a time when I might pray for other people. This is a time when I might use the, the, the prayer rope. But if you're not doing all those things that I just mentioned, don't think of it like, then I'm not doing a prayer rule, okay? Um, so it's something that you should be talking with someone about. Um, but um, it's realistic. It's at certain times of day, this is what I do. So um, a prayer rule would be, in the morning, I say the Trisagion and the Lord's Prayer. And in the evening, I say the small compline, and I do my daily readings. Or it could be, um, in the morning, I get up and I say all of my morning prayers, I do my daily readings, I have some time with the prayer rope. And then in the evening, I say the Trisagion and the Lord's Prayer, and go to bed. Could be any of those, or it could be multiple times as well, because it could be that a, a common thing that I hear is I'm tired at night. Well, a very simple solution to that is pray earlier. Who said that prayers have to be right before bedtime? Whoever said that? Because it's a bad idea for most of us. Should we say a prayer before we get in bed? Sure. But should that be our prayer time? Maybe not. Maybe not. For many of us, it's just a fight against sleep. So what if we said our evening prayers right after dinner? So, um, so figuring that out and starting to have a regular prayer rule. <coughs> the pieces of the prayer rule, um, I, I, I wish I could write them all down. I won't write them all down. But the pieces could include most fundamentally, prayers always have the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Why? 
Because that's what Jesus said. He said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. That's what he said. When you pray. So when we pray, we say the Lord's Prayer. So in the morning, in the evening, we say the Lord's Prayer. If we pray, stop in the middle of the day and pray, we say the Lord's Prayer. And that's always preceded by what we call the Trisagian prayers. The Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal. So, um, so a prayer rule <coughs> needs to be realistic. It also doesn't have to be all of our prayers. <coughs> so a prayer rule, and again, this is, I'm defining something that it, it may be defined differently from other things that you've read, so that, that's fine. Um, prayer rule is, this is what I'm going to say every single day, no matter what. Of course, we never do 100%, but we strive for 100%, okay? Does that mean that's the only time I'm praying? Of course not. I can say, well, I want to say this akathist for my loved one that really needs prayers. Or I feel like doing a pornoclasis tonight. Or I really would like to read a psalm because I feel like I need some psalms. All of those things are additional things that we can do. That's not the prayer rule. So I'm making a particular distinction. Prayer rule is what I do every single day. And then there are other prayers that I might do. Okay, And if these other prayers become really, really regular, oh my goodness, look, I'm, saying the, I'm reading a psalm every single night. Then I can put that into my prayer rule. Now it's a part of my prayer rule. And this is what I'm doing every single night as I'm reading a psalm. And then I have these other things that I might do on occasion. Any questions about any of that? Thoughts? Okay. So at this time, what I'd like to do is, um, and that was very brief about what a prayer rule is, but um, a, a lot more conversation could happen. Um, at this point, what I'd like to do is pass this out. And you probably all have prayer books at home, so you don't need to keep this by any means. In fact, I don't expect you to. You can put it back on the table, but I want you to use this right now here. <coughs> so we're going to do a little exercise. Another uh, practice that uh, St. Theophon recommends is setting a certain amount of time for prayer. So you might have, these are the prayers that I'm saying, but then once you figure out how much time that is, you say, this is how long I'm going to pray. Because one of our dangers of having regular prayers is speeding right through it as quickly as we can. So if you set your clock, you say, well, this properly takes me 15 minutes. And you set your timer. And if 15 minutes hasn't passed yet and you're done with your prayers, pray more. So that's, that's one uh, thing that he mentions. So um, what I wanted to do here is, um, so what this has just briefly, there's morning prayers. You open it up. Evening prayers, the second half. This is, um, <coughs> in some sense, totally arbitrary because there are many things that could comprise morning or evening prayers. But what I want to focus on is this first page. The first page is what we call the Trisagion and the Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Other than that little last partial paragraph. What I just said was, when we pray, we say this. 
If that's not your practice, make that your practice. Christ gave us only one prayer, and that's the Lord's Prayer. So this is what we pray. What I would like to do, because for most of you, these are either memorized or nearly memorized, um, so I could probably stand up right here and start saying them, and have all of you, I'm not going to, have all of you stand up, and without looking at the card, you could say the, the words of the prayer, most likely, for most of you, okay? But I'm giving you a card. Why am I doing that? Because I would like to go through every single sentence here, and I would like to have us ponder on what it's saying and what it means. Because we, if we say these prayers all the time, we easily forget the richness and the depth of what's actually there. And so we're doing this exercise because I'd like to reinvigorate in you. When you say that these prayers next time, your entire heart and mind and being is focused on what you're saying. Because you'll be saying this with all of the richness of the, the meaning that we're going to offer right now. So we begin with, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And what's the first thing we say after that? Glory to you, our God. Glory to you. What is that? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Right at the very beginning, we are giving thanks to God. Glory to you, O oh God. Glory to you. What, what is it? What is expressed in that? <coughs> what do you hear or feel or sense with this? Worship. There's worship in that? Yeah? If we say this with our whole heart, what is it like? It's like we're saying, there's so much to give thanks to you about. So all I can say is glory to you, O oh God. Glory to you. But there are so many... so. Right encapsulated with that in that is so much of all of the things that we could be giving thanks to God about. We could use this as um, a common practice with the prayer rope is saying the Jesus prayer or saying most holy Theotoko save us. This could easily be done with our Jesus prayer, with our, our prayer rope. Glory to you, our God. Glory to you. Glory to you, our God. Glory to you. And in this we're giving doxology. It would be the, the proper right um, phrase. Because it's also a combination of giving thanks, but also saying, wow, God, wow, look at everything that you've done. That's what we start out with. Sometimes yeah. uh, when I uh, get to that point, I have something bothering me or um, I feel overwhelmed by something in life. Mm -hmm. And when I say glory to you, our God, glory to you, it reminds me that uh, he is about it all, and it's, uh, it's like uh, <coughs> his saving grace uh, mm -hmm. as well to uh, pour down into my praying some uh, Yeah, yeah. And, and all of you, please offer any thoughts that you have on any of this, because I don't want it to be me lecturing at you. So the next paragraph, as you may know, is a prayer to the Holy Spirit. A very rich prayer. So what, what do we start with? Oh, heavenly king. What is that saying? He's the king of all. He is overseeing all things. That is, he's in the place that we want to go to. What else? I have a hard time conceptualizing what a king really is. 
Yeah. We've grown up here in the United States yeah. and we have no appreciation for King even here on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, and that can be very hard. What is what is a king? What is a king to us? Well, he is the definition of king, so we should look at it the other way around. What is God? And that is what informs to us what a king is. And that next word, comforter, comforter, paraklitos. What is that word? That word is uh, it's the same word as paraklesis. I don't know if you knew that. So, what is it? Comfort, consolation intercession, supplication, all of these things. It's a very rich word. So that word alone um, has uh, all of those senses of the, the Spirit is comforting us, consoling us, supplicating God on behalf of us, interceding for us. All of those are within that. The, the and then we say the Spirit of Truth. What's the fullness of that for us if we're saying these prayers? Does anyone not want truth? Not everyone wants truth. Everyone wants to be truthful. It's saying that this is a quality of God. So if we want truth, if we want to be truthful, if we want to experience the truth, all of this is from and through God. <coughs> who are everywhere present and filling all things. This again is a very rich phrase. It reminds us that God is always at work. He is the unsleeping one. Anapeson is the, the phrase in Greek. He is the one who never rests, but is always in all places. So everywhere present and filling all things. Does that mean just in the church? No. I, yeah. I heard this one time thinking about the space and atoms. Uh-huh. God's filling that space. Uh huh. I mean, it's like even like that. Yeah. Because how much and how big is it? Yeah. How many? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, just that phrase. You can ponder that all day long. I mean, think about that. And um, something that you can do taking this home, or, or when you you pray it on your own, spend twenty minutes just saying this, and pause at each of these and really ponder them prayerfully. So that when you say it in a day in and a day out way, you still have all that fullness with it. Yeah. And if, and if you struggle with like obligation or you know just mm -hmm. like getting through it or things like that, would you recommend that just just making it smaller, but really focusing and making it more heartfelt? <coughs> that's one way. That's one way to do that. Another is <coughs> I kind of mentioned this before, but yelling it inside your head. Sometimes you kind of have to yell the thoughts out of your head. So um, that's another way. Just to, to uh, whatever it takes to make it, we're trying to be one. We are one, but we're not. Because our mind is going off in one way, our body is doing another thing, our heart is doing another thing. And so we're totally divided. And so what we're trying to do in prayer is bring us into oneness. So the words coming out of my mouth are the words in my head how basic and how impossibly hard that is. Even in our daily lives. I can be standing up here talking to you and thinking, oh, well, let's see how much time I have left. What do I need to say? Da, 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 da. So this is a constant problem in our lives. We are divided. We're divided within ourselves. So um, this is what, one of the things that prayer does for us.
So we continue forward, the treasury of good things and the giver of life. We could pause at each of those phrases, but I put them together. So the treasury of good things, that's where good things come from. In the, word of, the words of St. James, which we say at the prayer at the end of liturgy, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from you, the Father of lights. Every good gift is from above. Everything that is good is from God. Everything in creation that is good is from God. And he is the giver of life. I have my breath right now because he allows me to continue to have my breath. He gives me my breath. Maybe getting back to Diane's mentioning of the space in between the atoms. So. And all of that was, of that prayer, was what we call doxology. It was just talking about God. We haven't even given him a nice verb yet, if you want to talk grammar. Have you noticed that? There's no verb yet. Now we get to the verbs. Come and abide in us. So we're asking for two things. Come. Abide in us. Dwell in us. <coughs> cleanse us from every impurity. And save our souls a good one. Isn't that the entire flow of things? We want him to come into us. To abide in us. To kick out the bad stuff. And to save us. That's our entire theology right there. Just in that prayer. Then we continue forward, and we rush through this. Holy God, holy mighty, holy mortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy mighty, holy mortal, have mercy on us. You should put it all together as one word. It's not word, holy God, holy mighty, holy mortal, have mercy on us. But pause, think about this. So we, why do we say holy three times? Have we ever thought about that? Couldn't we just say holy God, mighty, and immortal? What? So yes, this is Trinitarian. Where does this prayer come from? Yeah. Yeah. There was a, I believe it was an earthquake in uh, Constantinople, and then they did this procession around the city, um, uh, praying for it to end. And then this boy was, um, I don't know what you say, ascended, was sent up into heaven. So there's a boy in the group, and he disappeared up into the sky. And then a little while later, he was sent back down. And that boy was the one who said, this is what the angels are singing. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. So that's a pretty unique thing in the Orthodox Church is we get our prayers straight from the angels. Right? That's also true of the prayer. It is truly meet and right also given to us. So it's Trinitarian, but it, that repetition, holy, 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 that also uh, references us back to the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah the prophet has this vision of heaven and the cherubim and the seraphim flying around singing holy, holy, holy. So it's partly that, but it's also a reinforcing the holiness of God. What does the word holy mean? Adios. Earth. Ye, earth, ah, not, not of this earth. That's what agios means. That's what holy means. Or saint. Saint and holy are the same word in Greek, agios. So not of this earth. Okay. 
We have that word mighty, showing us God's strength. He is, why are we calling him immortal? Because he's the only thing that is immortal. The only thing that is. Anyone else who desires immortality needs to cling to the only one who is immortal. Why is he immortal? Because he's not dependent upon anything. His existence is not dependent upon anything. Our existence is always dependent upon. And we're asking to have mercy on us. And then we say what we say so often, we also rattle through this. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Again, this is reminding us that God is in Trinity. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. <coughs> and so what is grammatically what's going on in that sentence? We're saying, give glory to God. How much? Now and forever, to the ages of ages. And then we add that, amen, yes. Right? This is, that's what we're saying each time, or we're just rattling it off. All Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. Lord, be gracious unto our sins. Master, partner, our iniquities. Holy One, visit and heal our infirmities for your name's sake. Doesn't it all sound like repetition? But each sentence is there for a reason. Each sentence is there for a reason. All Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. So we say, Lord, have mercy. We're asking God to, um, to forget our, our sins. But, but remembering that it's three, mm -hmm. the Trinity. Yeah, exactly. Lord, be gracious unto our sins. So what does that mean? Why, why do we just say have mercy and then we said be gracious unto our sins? What does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? Or some of you might have different translations. One is forgiveness and one is uh, deliverance. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. And master partner iniquities. Again, these are all different things. There's sins, there's iniquities, and then the next one we have infirmities. Visit and heal our infirmities. If you think about that, this is our um, our soul is sick. Our soul is sick, like literally sick, as in it has wounds and festering pains and deformities. And so, what are we asking him for? Visit. Come, come and heal that. So this is an act of repentance. Holy One, visit and heal our infirmities for your name's sake. And we say, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to ages and ages. Amen. And then the prayer. Our Father. Our Father. Just that one phrase. Think about that. And this... Um, this little book from Bishop Hilarion, he talks through the Lord's Prayer a little bit, so I'll read just one part. When we pronounce our Father, this means that we are not praying in isolation as individuals. Each one of us has his own Father, but as members of a single human family, a single church, a single body of Christ. In other words, by calling God our Father, we imply that all other people are our brethren. Moreover, when Christ teaches us to pray to to turn to God as our Father, he places himself, as it were, on the same level with us. St. Simeon, the neo-theologian, said that through faith in Christ, we become Christ's brethren, because we share with him a common Father, our Heavenly Father. So when our Lord said that, he was 
inviting us to be sons and daughters of God with him as our, our sibling. Because um, Christ is, in his nature, the Son of God. We can be adopted as sons and daughters of God through him. Who art in heaven, again, echoing back on that line of the, the heavenly king. Hallowed be thy name. And again, this is old English, so what does that mean? Your name is holy. His name is holy. That means at any time if we say Jesus, if we say Christ, we're, we are inviting holiness into our lives just by saying his name. Just that his name in and of itself. And there are actually some uh, amazing theological treatises on the name of Jesus. On just the name of Jesus and the immense power of the name. And we see that even echoed in St. Paul in his epistles. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Yeah. Thy kingdom come. There's a, a big request. Remember, these are all requests in here. Thy kingdom come. We're saying, Lord, we want your kingdom. And this is a twofold, both in the sense of we want your kingdom, the kingdom to come. We want your second coming. We want to enter into heaven. But also right here and right now, we are wanting to have the kingdom of heaven at hand. As St. John the Baptist and Christ said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We want the kingdom of heaven to be present in our lives. <coughs> I'm doing a lot of the talking. It would be nice if you guys want to offer some of your own thoughts on these. Yeah. It's also a personal request. Mm -hmm. So your kingdom come means mm -hmm. in, in me. Yes. And your will be done in me mm -hmm. as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, Bishop Valerian says this about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How lightly we speak these words and how very rarely do we recognize that our will might not coincide with God's will. <laughs> After all, sometimes God sends us suffering, but we turn out to be... But, we turn out to be incapable of accepting it as sent by God, and we murmur indignantly. How often do people coming up to a priest say, I cannot agree with such and such. I understand that it's God's will, but I cannot come to terms with it. What can you say to such a person? It's not as if you can tell them that when saying the Lord's Prayer, he needs to replace the words, Thy will be done with, My will be done. <laughs> We need to find the strength within ourselves to deny our own will for the sake of fulfilling God's will. Often when praying, we ask for something from God, but we do not receive it. And then it seems to us that our prayer has not been heard. We need to find the strength within ourselves to accept this refusal on God's part as his will. <clears throat> so that's partly what we're saying is, when we say, thy will be done, it's, it's actually, sometimes it's a counteracting against some of our other requests. God, let me get this job, or whatever it may be. And then we say, thy will be done. And we may not get that job. So, um, I'll, I'll try to get a little bit faster through this so we can finish on time. So next we say, give us this day our daily bread. And that also is very rich because it's saying what we need. It's not saying what we want. It's not saying what we hope for or what we need. And so often in our lives, we realize 
we don't need as much as we thought we needed. And how do we realize that? Because we don't get the thing we thought we needed. <laughs> right? Well, and also sometimes it's something that we didn't want, think we wanted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it can be the opposite as well. Something we didn't think we wanted. <laughs> something we didn't think we needed. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the experience, too, of uh, not getting something right away, mm -hmm. even for a considerable time, because I need something different first, mm -hmm. and then it was ready. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's the, the order in which things come, sometimes it's the way in which they come. And then we get to the, the really hard phrase, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And as you may recall me saying before, this is a very fearful statement that we say each and every time. Because if you look at it closely, what is it saying? What is our request? What's the verb of our request? Forgive us. Now, what's the quality of that forgiveness that we're asking for? As we forgive. So that's how much I want you to forgive me, God. Only, you can put that word in, only as much as I forgive others. Don't forgive me more than that, God. I'm not asking you to forgive me more than that. I'm asking you only forgive me as much as I forgive others. That's strong words. But why is that? Why would we say something like that? Why would, did Jesus set us up? <laughs> you have to say this prayer all the time? Did he set us up? Forgive me, I don't mean to be irreligious. Is it because he knows that we need to forgive to be healed? It's for us that he does that? What is salvation? Salvation is being with God. And how can we be with God if we are not like God? So yes, to answer your question exactly like that. We need this. That's why he gave this as a very bitter medicine within the Lord's Prayer. Can you think, have you forgiven every single person on earth of everything that they've done? Parents, can you forgive your own children? Sometimes. Can we forgive our spouses? Can we forgive our parents for their mistakes? Can we forgive our co-workers for whatever they've done to wrong us? <coughs> we need to do this because this is our salvation. Yeah. I, I have a bit of trouble with this in mm -hmm. the sense that um, I don't think I could pray that exactly as, as you're saying because I already have recognition that I don't forgive as I ought. And uh, I also recognize that uh, I still sin uh, and I ought not. Mm -hmm. And I cannot see how I am going to be doing more than move, hopefully, in the direction of doing better all of my life but yeah. that I will never reach yeah. So this is so, a this is. But a, I still need to pray that God will forgive them all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's why we do say, "Lord, have mercy," in a more of a broad sense. However, this prayer reminds us that it is not transactional. It is transformational. Salvation is not transactional. I do this for you. You give me this. 
It is transformational. Salvation is us being transformed. We cannot have salvation without transformation. So it's not because God is being a tyrant and he's demanding transformation. That's just the reality of what is. How can I say I want to be with you, God, and I don't want to be like you at all? I mean, what kind of craziness is that? But that's what we do. So, so that's why the, the prayer really pushes us in that direction. I need to forgive. If I can't forgive people, that is some serious work that I need to embark upon right now, starting today. So, yeah. And every time we pray that, it reminds us of that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that line, lead us not into temptation, that can cause us some stumbling, like is God making us sin? It's good, a good question. There's a wonderful uh, commentary on the Lord's Prayer by St. Macarius of Corinth. Uh, the bookstore may have it. It was out of print, but I think they were trying to get it. But he gives a much longer description of what that means. Because, <coughs> of course, the, the apostle, and it was Peter or Paul, that said, when you're tempted, do not say you're being tempted by God. God does not tempt. Right? God does not tempt. But then this says, don't lead us to temptation. So they go, what is this meaning? So he gives a more brief description in here. But again, the St. Macarius of Corinth. I didn't want to read all of that because it's a couple pages. But it says, we're saying to God, do not send us a test beyond our strength. Send us the kind that we can deal with so that the trials and tribulations that you send will not crush us or kill our faith. We should remember that evil, of course, has power and can have a negative, even devastating effect upon our lives, but only when we ourselves allow it access to us. The devil is powerless where he isn't invited, where his presence isn't wanted. If a person goes to church, prays, wears a cross, and makes the sign of the cross, if he fulfills God's commandments and refrains from sin, then the devil is powerless and has no strength in such a person. When does the devil gain strength? When a person opens the floodgates and vents in his home. When he, for instance, he falls into a grievous, a given passion, such as an addiction. Therefore, when we pray to God, deliver us from the evil one, we're asking that we would all, he would always grant us the power to refrain from that which gives the evil one power over our lives. So, um, and the, the prayer, it, it, in, in this uh, translation, it says, deliver us from evil. That's the King James. Deliver us from the evil one is also correct, and I would say more correct, um, but either, either way is, is okay. Both are correct in terms of the Greek. Um, so then we finish the prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Or yours. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is all the power, and to you belongs glory. So we return to that thought, glory to you, our God, glory to you at the beginning. We return to that at the end. And the, and the glory, yours is the glory, <clears throat> the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, now and forever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Any final thoughts? We've reached our time. So, yeah. we, so but right, the tradition, mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't say this, the priest says that, we just say through the prayer of the Holy Spirit. No, it's fine. I used to always say it. And then didn't know yeah. I was supposed to say it. Then no, it's fine. It's fine. So yes, in, in some prayer books it says, instead of for thine is the kingdom, it says through the prayers of our Holy Fathers. That's fine too. Either way is fine. So, um, In a liturgical setting, the, the people would never say that. The priest would. But we're praying by ourselves.
just had one additional thing stepping back. Uh, I've heard lead us not into temptation. I've heard that translated as save us from the time of trial. Yeah, yeah, there are different translations to it. Um, it. Lead us not into temptation is a very literal translation of the Greek. So, um, but yeah, in terms of comprehending that, it might be helpful to comprehend it in that way. So, yeah. Thank you for your attentiveness. I'm going to try and keep it just to an hour. If you have any questions, you want to come up afterwards, you can. But um, let's finish with the Lord's Prayer. The next class will not be next week. It will be the week, the Wednesday after that. And then because I wasn't able to do it last week, the following Friday of that week. So two classes in one week, Wednesday and Friday, but not next week. It will be the week after. Yes. I just wanted to say that afterwards I'm going to open the bookstore up. Excellent. So if anybody